Hey everyone, welcome to the Latent Space Podcast. This is Alessio, partner and CTO and residence at Decibel Partners, and I'm joined by my co-host Swix, founder of Small AI. Welcome. Today we have Harrison Chase in the studio with us. Welcome, Harrison. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be here. Been a long time coming. We've been asking you for a little bit, and uh, we're really glad to, that you got some time to join us in the studio. Yeah, I've been dodging you guys for a while. <laughs> about about seven months. months. You're, about you're seven months. Yeah, but it's all good. Totally understand. <laughs> we like to introduce people through the official backgrounds and then ask you a little bit about your personal side. So you went to Harvard, class of 2017. You don't list what you did in Harvard. Was it CS? Uh, stats and CS. Uh, that's awesome. I love, love me some good stats. I got into it through stats, through doing sports analytics. And then there was like so much overlap between stats and CS that I found myself doing more and more of that. And it's interesting that a lot of the math that you learn in stats actually comes over into machine learning. Oh, yeah. Uh, which would you apply it at Kensho as a machine learning engineer and robust intelligence, which is, seems to be the home of a lot of AI founders. It does, yeah. <laughs> um, and you started Langchain, I think, around November 2023 and uh, incorporated in January. Yeah, I was, I was looking it up for the podcast and the, the first tweet was on, I think, October 24th. So just okay. before the end of November awesome. or end of October. Yeah. Um, so that's your LinkedIn. Uh, what should people know about you on the personal side that's not obvious on, on like LinkedIn? A lot of how I got into this is all through sports, actually. Like I'm a big sports fan. I uh, played a lot of soccer growing up and then really big fan of the NBA and NFL. And so freshman year at college showed up and I knew I liked math. I knew I liked sports. One of the clubs that was there was the Sports Analytics Collective. And so I joined that freshman year. I was doing a lot of stuff in like Excel, just like basic stats, but then like wanted to do more advanced stuff. So learn to code, learn, learn kind of like data science and machine learning through that way. Kind of like just kept on going down that path. I think sports is a great entryway to data science and machine learning. Yeah. There's a lot of like numbers out there. People like really care. Like I remember, I think sophomore, junior year, I was in the sports collective and and the main thing we had was a blog. And so we wrote a blog. It wasn't me. Uh, one of the other people in the club wrote a blog predicting the NFL season. I think they made some kind of like with stats. And I think their their stats showed that like the Dolphins would end up beating the Patriots and New England got like pissed about it, of course. So people like really care and they'll give you feedback about whether your like models doing well or poorly. And so you get that. And then you also get like instantaneous kind of like, or not instantaneous, but really quick feedback. Like if you predict a game, the game happens that night. Like you don't have to wait a year to see what happens. Yeah. So I think sports is a great kind of like entryway for kind of like data science. And it was actually my first article on the Twilio blog. Really? Was, um, uh, Python script to like... Um, predict pricing of like daily fantasy players based on like past week performance. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good getaway drug. And on my end, the way I got into finance was through sports betting. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> maybe we all have some ties um, in there. Was like, wasn't like Moneyball a big inspiration, the, the movie? Honestly, not really. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really like baseball. That's like the, the big thing. Let's call it a lot of stats. A lot of stats. Lot of stats. Yeah. Cool. Well, we can dive right into Langchain, which is what everyone is excited about. But feel free to make all the sports analogies you want. That really drives home a lot of points. What was your GPT aha moment? When did you start working on GPT itself? Maybe, maybe not Langchain, just, just anything to do with yeah. the GPT API. I think it probably started around the time we had a company hackathon. I think that was before I launched Langchain. I'm trying to remember the exact sequence of events. But I do remember that at the hackathon, I worked with Will, who's now actually at LangChain as well, and then two other members of Robust, and we made basically a bot where you could ask questions of Notion and Slack. And so I think, yeah, RAG, basically. Yeah. And I think I wanted to try that out because I'd like heard that it was getting good, but hadn't, you know, I'm trying to remember if I like did anything before that to like realize that it was good. So then I would like focus on that on the hackathon. I can't remember or not, but that was one of the first times that I like built something with GP3. 
there wasn't that much opportunity before because the API access wasn't that widespread. Like you had to get you had to get into some kind of program to to get that. DaVinci 02 was like not terrible, but they did like an upgrade to get it to there. And yeah. they didn't really publicize that as much. And so I think I remember playing around with it when the first DaVinci model came out. And I was like, this is cool, but it's like not amazing. Like there you'd have to do a lot of work to get it to do something. But then I think like that, like February or something of uh I think of 2022, they like upgraded it and it was, it got better, but I think they made less of kind of an announcement around it. Yeah. And so I just, yeah, kind of like slipped under the radar for me at least. And what was the step into LangChain? So you did the hackathon and then as you were building the kind of rack product, you felt like the developer experience wasn't that great or what was the inspiration? No, honestly, it? like, so, so around that time, I knew I was going to leave my previous job. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. I went to a bunch of like meetups and other events. This was like the, the September, August, September of that year. So after Stable Diffusion, but before ChatGPT. So there was like interest in like generative AI as a space, but not a lot of people hacking on language models yet, but there were definitely some. And so I would go to these like meetups and like just chat with people and basically saw some common abstractions in terms of like what they were building. And then thought it would be a cool side project to factor out some of those common abstractions. And, and that became kind of like LangChain. I looked up again before this because I remember I did like a tweet thread on Twitter to announce LangChain. And, and we can talk about what LangChain is. It's a series of components and then there's some like end-to-end -end modules. And there was three kind of like end-to-end -end modules that were in the initial kind of like release. One was uh, one was Natbot. So this was like mm -hmm. the um, web agent by Nat Friedman. Another was LLM math chain. So it would construct a... a GPT-3 cannot do math. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then the third was self-ask. So some type of like rag search, similar to React style agent. So those were like some of the patterns in terms of like what I was seeing. And those all came from like open source or academic examples because the people who were actually working on this were like building startups and they were doing things like question answering over your databases, question answering over SQL, things like that. But I couldn't like, you know, use their code as kind of like inspiration to factor things out. So I stalked you a little bit actually round about right after you announced Langchain. I'm honored. I think I'm one of many. This is your first open source project. No, that's not actually true. Okay. I released, because um, I liked sports stats. And so I remember I did release some like really small random Python package for scraping data from like basketball reference or something. Mm. I'm pretty sure I released that. So first project to get a star on GitHub. Let's, yeah. say, let's yeah. say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you like reference anything? What was what was the inspirations? Like other frameworks that you look to when open sourcing Langchain or announcing it? or um, Anything like that? I mean, the the only main thing that I looked for, I remember reading a Hacker News post a little bit before about how like a readme on the project goes a long Read way. Help. Yeah. And so I looked at it and it was like, you know, put like some like um, uh, status checks at the top and like have like uh, the title and then like one or two lines and then just right into installation. And so that's the main thing that I looked at in terms of how to structure it because yeah, I hadn't done open source before. I didn't really know how to communicate that aspect of the marketing or the kind of like getting people to use it. I think I had some trouble finding it, but I finally found it and used that as a, a lot of the inspiration there. Yeah. It was one of the subjects of my write-up, how it was su surprising to me that significant open source experience actually didn't seem to matter in the new wave of AI tooling. Like most, like AutoGPT's, Torrens, that was his first open source project ever. Yeah. And that became AutoGPT. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's just, uh, to me, it's just interesting how like open source experience is, is kind of fungible or like not necessary. Or you can kind of learn it on the job. Overvalued. Sometimes. Overvalued. <laughs> okay. You said it, not me. <laughs> What's your description of Langchain today? Like, I think when, when I built the Langchain Hub UI in January, there mm -hmm. were a few things. And I think you were one of the first people to talk about agents that were already in there before it got, it got hot now. 
And it's obviously evolved into a much bigger framework today. Run people through what LangChain is today, how they should think about it and all of that. The way that we describe it or, or think about it internally is that LangChain is basically, and it's, I started off saying LangChain is a framework for building LLM applications, but that's really vague and not really specific. And I think part of the issue is LangChain does do a lot, so it's hard to be somewhat specific. But I think the way that we think about it internally in, in terms of like prioritization, what to focus on, is basically LangChain is a framework for building context-aware reasoning applications. And so that's a bit of a mouthful, but I think there's a lot, I think that speaks to a lot of the core parts of what's in LangChain. And so what concretely that means in LangChain, there's really two things. One is a set of kind of like components and modules. Um, and these can be kind of like, these would be kind of like the prompt template abstraction, the LLM abstraction, chat model abstraction, vector store abstraction, text splitters, document loaders. And so these are combinations of things that we build and we implement, or we just have integrations with. So we don't have any language models ourselves. We don't have any vector stores ourselves, but we integrate with with a lot of them. And then the text splitters, we kind of like have our own logic for that. The document loaders, we have our own logic for that. And so those are kind of like the individual modules. But then I think another big part of LangChain and probably the part that got people using it the most is like the end-to-end kind of like chains or applications. So we have a lot of chains for getting started with like question answering over your documents, chat question answering, question answering over SQL databases, agent stuff that you can kind of like plug in off the box. And that basically combines these components in a series of specific ways to kind of like do this. So if you think about like a question answering app, you need a lot of different components kind of like stacked. And there's a bunch of different ways to do question answering apps. So this is a bit of an overgeneralization, but basically, you know, you have some component that looks up an embedding from a vector store, and then you put that into like the prompt template with the question and the context, and then maybe you have the chat history as well, and then that generates an answer, and then maybe you do something, you parse that out, or you do something with the answer there. And so there's this, this sequence of things that you basically stack in a particular way. And so we just provide a bunch of those assembled chains off the shelf to make it really easy to get started in a few lines of codes. And just to give people context, when you first released LangChain, OpenAI did not have a chat API. It was a completion-only API. Mm-hmm. So you had to do all the human assistant, like prompting and whatnot. So you abstracted a lot of that away. I think like the most interesting thing to me is like you're kind of the Switzerland of like this developer land. There's like a bunch of vector databases that are like killing each other out there to get people <laughs> to embed data in them. And you're 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 like, I love you all. You all are great. <laughs> How do you kind of think about being an opinionated framework versus like leaving a lot of choice to the user? And in terms of like spending time into this integration, it's like a you only have 10 people on the team. Obviously, that takes time. Yeah. What's that process like for you all? I think right off the bat, having different options for language models. I mean, language models is the main one that right off the bat, we knew we wanted to support a bunch of different options for. There's a lot to discuss there. People want optionality between different language models. They want to try it out. They want to maybe change the ones that are cheaper as new ones kind of like emerge. They don't want to get stuck into like one particular one if a better one comes out. But there's some challenges there as well. Prompts don't really transfer. And so there's a lot of like nuance there. But from the bat, having this optionality between the language model providers was a big important part because I think that was just something we felt really strongly about. Like we believe, you know, in there's not just going to be one model that, that rules them all. There's going to be a bunch of different models that are good for a bunch of different use cases. I did not anticipate the number of vector stores <laughs> that mm-hmm. would emerge, <laughs> you know. I don't know how many we supported in the initial release. Um, it probably wasn't as big of a focus as language models was, but I think it, it, it kind of quickly became so, especially when like Postgres and Elastic and Redis started building kind of like their vector store implementations. And, you know, we saw that some people might not want to use a dedicated vector store. Maybe they want to use kind of like traditional databases. And I, I think to, to your point around like what we're opinionated about, like I think the thing that we believe most strongly is it's like super early in the space and super fast moving. And so there's a lot of uncertainty about 
how things will shake out in terms of like, what role will vector databases play? How many will there be? What about language models? And so I think a lot of it has always kind of been this optionality and, and ability to switch and, and not getting locked in. There's other pieces of Langchain which maybe don't get as much attention sometimes. And the way that you explained Langchain is somewhat different from the docs. I don't know how to square this. So for example, you have at the top level in your docs, you have we mentioned model IO, we mentioned retrieval, we mm-hmm. mentioned chains. Then you have a, th- a concept called agents, which I don't know if like exactly matches what other people say call agents. And we also talk about memory. And then finally, there's callbacks. Are there any of the, the less understood concepts in Langchain that you want to give some air to? I mean, I think buried in model IO is um, some stuff around like few shot example selectors that I think is yep. really powerful. And that's probably, a workhorse. Yeah. I, I think that's where... I start with Langchain. It's one of those things that like you probably don't, if you're building an application, you probably don't start with it. You probably start with like a zero shot prompt. But I think like that's a, a really powerful one that's probably just talked about less because you don't need it right off the bat. Um, and for those of you who don't know, that basically selects from a bunch of examples, the ones that are maybe most relevant to the input at hand. So you can do some nice kind of like in-context learning there. I think that's, um, we've had that for a while. I don't think enough people use that, basically. Output parsers also used to be kind of important, but then function calling. There's this interesting thing where like the space is just like progressing so rapidly that a lot of things that were really important have kind of like diminished a bit, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Output parsers definitely used to be an understated and underappreciated part. And I think if you're working with non-OpenAI models, they still are, but a lot of people are working with OpenAI models. But even within there, like there's different things you can do with kind of like the function calling ability. Sometimes you want to have the option of having the text or the, like the, the application you're building, it could return either. Sometimes you know that it wants to return in a structured format, and so you just want to take that structured format. Other times you're extracting things that are maybe a key in that structured format, and so you want to like pluck that key. And so there's just like some like annoying kind of like parsing of that that to do. Agents, memory, and retrieval, we haven't talked at all. Retrieval, there's like five different subcomponents. You could You could also probably talk about all of those in depth. You've got the document loaders, the text splitters, the embedding models, the vector yes. stores. Embedding models and vector stores, we don't really have. Or sorry, we don't build, we, we integrate with those. Text splitters, I think we, we have like 15 or so. Like I think there's an under kind yes. of like appreciated amount of those. And then... Well, it's, it's actually, honestly, it's overwhelming. There, nobody knows what to choose. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot. Do you, a have a, do you have personal favorites that you want to shout out? The one that we have in the docs is the, the default is like the recursive um, text splitter. Text splitter yeah. We added a playground for text splitters the other I week saw. because, yeah, we heard a lot that like, you know, and like these affect things like the the chunk overlap and the chunks, yes. that, they affect things in really subtle ways. And so like, I think we added a playground where people could just like choose different ones. We have like, uh, and a lot of the ideas are really similar. You, you split on different characters depending on kind of like the type of text that you have marked down. You might want to split on differently than HTML. And so we added a playground where you can kind of like choose between those. I don't know if those are like underappreciated though, because I think a lot of people talk about text splitting as as being a hard part. And it is a really important part of, of creating these retrieval applications. But I think we have a lot of really cool retrieval algorithms as well. So like self-query is maybe one of my favorite things in LangChain, which is basically this idea of when you have a user question, the typical kind of like thing to do is you you embed that question and then find the document that's most similar to that question. Yeah. But oftentimes questions have things that just you don't really want to look up semantically. They have some other meaning. So like in ex- the example that I use and the example in the docs is like movies about aliens in the year 1980. 1980, I guess there's some semantic meaning for that, but it's a very particular thing that you care about. And so what the the self-query retriever does is it splits out 
the metadata filter and most vector stores support like a metadata filter. So it splits out this metadata filter and then it spits, splits out the semantic bit. And that's actually like kind of tricky to do because there's a lot of different filters that you can have like greater than, less than, equal to, you can have and things. So if you have multiple filters. So we have like a pretty complicated like prompt um, that does all that. That might be one of my favorite things in LangChain period. Like I think that's, that's awesome. yeah, I think that's really cool. How do you think about speed of development versus support? of existing things. So we mentioned retrieval, like you get, uh, or, you know, text splitting, you get like different options for all of them. As you keep building Langchain, how do you decide which ones you're not going to keep supporting, you know, which ones you're going to leave behind? I think right now, as you said, the space moves so quickly that like you don't even know who's using what. What's that like for you all? Yeah, I mean, we have, um, you know, we, we don't really have telemetry on what people are using in terms of what parts of Langchain the telemetry we have is like, you know, anecdotal stuff when people ask or have issues with things. A lot of it also is like, I think we definitely prioritize kind of like keeping up with the stuff that comes out. I think we we added function calling like the day it came out or the day after it came out. We added chat model support like the day after it came out or something like that. That's probably, I think I'm really proud of how the team has kind of like kept up with that because this space is like exhausting sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's probably... That, that's a big focus of ours. The support, I think we've, like, to be honest, we've had to get kind of creative with how we do that. Because we have, like, I think, I don't know how many open issues we have, but we have, like, three thousand somewhere between 2,000 and 3,000, like, open GitHub issues. We've experimented with a lot of startups that are doing kind <laughs> of, sure. like, question answering over your docs and stuff yeah. like that. And so we've got them on the, the website and in the Discord. And there's a really good one, uh, Dosu, on the GitHub that's, like, answering issues and stuff like that. And that's actually something we want to start leaning into more heavily as a company as well as kind of, like, building out NAI DevRel because <laughs> we're 10 people now, 10, 11 people now. Um, and, like, two months ago, we were, like, six or something like that, right? So, like, and to have, like, 2,500 open issues or something like that, and, like, 300 or 400 PRs as well. Because, like, one of the amazing things is that, like, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, everyone's building in the space. There's so many different, like, touch points. Langchain is lucky enough to kind of, like, be a lot of the glue that connects it. And so we get to work with a lot of awesome companies, but that's also a lot of, like, work to keep up with as well. And so I don't really have an amazing answer, but I think, like, the, I think prioritize kind of, like, new things that that come out and then we've gotten creative with some of kind of like the support functions and and luckily there's you know there's a lot of awesome people working on all those support coding question answering things that we've been able to work with i think there is your daily rhythm which uh, i've seen you 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 work like a like a beast man like mad impressive and then there's sometimes where you step back and do a little bit of high level like fifty thousand foot stuff uh, yeah. so we mentioned we mentioned retrieval you did a refactor in march and there's there's other abstractions that you've sort of changed your mind on. When do you do that? When do you do like the the step back from the day to day and go where are we going and change the direction of the ship? It's a good question. So far, it's probably been, you know, we see three or four or five things pop up that are enough to make us think about it. And then kind of like when it reaches that level, you know, we don't have like a monthly meeting where we sit down and do like a monthly plan or something. Maybe we should. I thought about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd love to host that meeting. <laughs> <laughs> it's really been a lot of, um, you know, one of the amazing things is we get to interact with so many different people. So it's been a lot of kind of like just pattern matching on what people are doing and trying to see those patterns before they punch us in the face or something like that. So for retrieval, it was the pattern of seeing like, hey, yeah, like, a lot of people are using vector source stuff, but there's also just like other methods and people are offering like hosted solutions and we want our abstractions to work with that as well. So we shouldn't bake in this paradigm of doing like semantic search too heavily, which sounds like basic now, 
But I think like, you know, to start a lot of it was people needed help doing these things. But then there was like managed things that did them, hybrid retrieval mechanisms, all of that. I think another example of this, I mean, Langsmith, which we can maybe talk about, was like very kind of like, I think we worked on that for like three or four months before announcing it kind of like publicly, two months maybe before giving it to kind of like anyone in beta. But this was a lot of debugging these applications as a pain point. We hear that like just understanding what's going on is a pain point. I mean, you two did a, a webinar on this, uh, which is called Agents versus Chains. <laughs> that was fun, by the way. Thanks for having me on. No, thanks for coming. That was a good one. And on the website, you list like RAG, which is a retrieval of back generation, and Agents as two of the main the main goals of, of Langchain. And the difference, I think, at the Databricks keynote, you said chains are like predetermined steps and Agents is models reasoning to figure out what steps to take and what actions to take. How should people think about when to use the two? and how do you transition from one to the other with Langchain? Like, is it a, a path that you support or like do people usually re-implement from an agent to a chain or vice versa? Yeah, you know, I know agent's probably an overloaded term at this point. And so there's probably a lot of different definitions out there. But yeah, as you said, kind of like the way that I think about an agent is basically like in a chain, you have a sequence of steps. You do this and then you do this and then you do this and then you do this. And with an agent, there's some aspect of it where the LLM's kind of like deciding what to do and what steps to do in what order. And, you know, there's probably some like gray area in the middle, but, you know, don't fight me on this. <laughs> and so if we think about those, like the the benefits of the chains are that they're like, you can say, do this, and you just have like a more rigid kind of like order in the way that things are done. And you have more control and they don't go off the rails and, and basically everything that's bad about agents in terms of being uncontrollable and expensive, you can control more finely. The benefit of agents is that I think they handle like the long tail of things that can happen really well. And so for an example of this, let's maybe think about like a, interacting with a SQL database. So you can have like a SQL chain and, you know, the, the first kind of like naive approach at a SQL chain would be like, okay, you have the user question, then you like write the SQL query, you do some rag, you pull in the relevant tables and schemas, you write a SQL query, you execute that against the SQL database, and then you like return that as the answer or you like summarize that with an LLM and return that to the answer. And that's basically the SQL chain that we have in LinkedIn. But there's a lot of things that can go wrong in that process. Starting from the beginning, you may like not want to even query the SQL database at all. Maybe they're saying like hi or something, or they're misusing the application. Then like what happens if you have some step, like a big part of the application that people with LinkedIn is like the context aware part. So there's generally some part of bringing in context to the language model. So if you bring in the wrong context to the language model, so it doesn't know which tables to query, what do you do then? Mm. If you write a SQL query, it's like syntactically wrong and it can't run. And then if it can run, like what if it returns an unexpected result or something? And so basically what we do with the SQL agent is we give it access to all these different tools. So it has another tool that can run the SQL query, it has another, and then it can respond to the user. But then if it kind of like, it can decide which order to do these in. And so it gives it flexibility to handle all these edge cases. And there's like obviously downsides to that as well. And so there's probably like some safeguards you want to put in place around agents in terms of like not letting them run forever, having some observability in there. But I do think there's this benefit of, um, you know, like, again, to the other part of what LinkedIn is like the reasoning part, like each of those steps individually involves some aspect of reasoning for sure. Like you need to reason about what the SQL query is. You need to reason about what to return. But there's then there's also reasoning about the order of operations. And so I think to me, the key is kind of like giving it an appropriate amount to reason about while still keeping it with, within checks. And, and so to the point, like I would probably recommend that most people get started with chains. And then when they get to the point where they're hitting these edge cases, then they think about, okay, I'm hitting a bunch of edge cases where the SQL query is just not returning like the relevant things. Maybe I should add in some step there and let it 
maybe make multiple queries or something like that. Basically, like start with chain, figure out when you're heading to these edge cases, add in the reasoning step to that to handle those edge cases appropriately. That would be kind of like my recommendation. Right. If I were to rephrase it in my words, an agent would be a reasoning node in a chain, right? Like you start with the chain, then you just add a reasoning node. Now it's an agent. Yeah. The architecture for your application doesn't have to be just a chain or just an agent. It can be an agent that calls chains. It can be a chain that has an agent in different parts of them. And this is another part as well. Like the chains in Langchain are largely intended as kind of like a way to get started and take you some amount of the way. But for your specific use case, in order to kind of like eke out the most performance, you're probably going to want to do some customization at the very basic level, like probably around the prompt or something like that. And so one of the things that we've, we've focused on recently is like making it easier to customize these bits of existing architectures. But you probably also want to customize your architectures as well. You mentioned a bit of prompt engineering for self-ask and then for, for this stuff. There's a bunch of, I just talked to a prompt engineering company today, prompt ops or LLM ops. Advice or thoughts on that field in general? Like, are you going to compete with them? <laughs> do you have internal tooling that you've built? A lot of what we do is like where we see kind of like a lot of the pain points being like, we can talk about Langsmith and that, that was a big motivation for that. And we'll like, I don't know if, would you categorize Langsmith as prompt ops? I don't know. It's, it's whatever you want it yeah. to do. You want to call it? <laughs> I don't know either. Like, I think like there's... I, I think about it as like a prompt registry and you store them and you A-B test them and you do that. Uh, uh, Langsmith, I feel like doesn't quite go there yet. Yeah, it is obviously it's obviously the next step. Yeah, we'll probably go and yeah, yeah we'll we'll do more of that because I think that's definitely part of the application of a, a a chain or agent is you start with a default one, then you improve it over time, and like I think a lot of um the main new thing that we're dealing with here is like language models, and the main new way to control language models is prompts, and <laughs> and so like a lot of the chains and agents are powered by this combination of like prompt language model and then some output parser or something doing some of the output, and so like yeah, we want to make that core thing as as good as possible. And so we'll, we'll do stuff all around that for sure. Yep. Awesome. We might as well go into Langsmith because we're bringing it up so much. So you announced Langsmith, I think last month. What are your visions for it? Is this the future of Langchain the company? It's definitely part of the future. So Langsmith is basically a control center for kind of like your LLM application. So the main features that it kind of has is like debugging, logging, monitoring, and then like testing and evaluation. And so debugging, logging, monitoring, basically law, you set three environment variables and it kind of like logs all the runs that are happening in your link chain chains or agents. And it, it logs kind of like the uh, inputs and outputs at each step. And so the main use case we see for this is in debugging. And that's probably the main reason that we started down this path of building it is I think like as you have these more complex things, debugging what's actually going on becomes really painful, <laughs> um, whether whether you're using Langchain or not. And so like adding this type of observability and, and debuggability was really important. Yeah, there's the debugging aspect. You can see the inputs outputs at each step. You can then quickly enter into like a playground experience where you can you can fiddle around with it. The first version didn't have that playground, and then we'd see people copy, go to OpenAI playground, paste in there. <laughs> okay, well that's a little annoying. Like just, <laughs> and then there's there's kind of like the the monitoring, logging experience, and and we recently added some analytics on like you know how many requests are you getting per hour, minute, day? What's the feedback like over time? Um, and then there's like a testing, debugging, sorry, testing and evaluation component as well, where basically you can create data sets and then test and evaluate these data sets. And I think importantly. All these things are tied to each other and then also into Langchain, the framework. So what I mean by that is like, we've tried to make it as easy as possible to go from 
logs to adding a data point to a data set. And because we think a really powerful flow is you, you don't really get started with a data set. You can accumulate a data set over time. Um, and so being able to find points that have gotten like a thumbs up or a thumbs down from a user can be really powerful in terms of creating a good data set. And so that's maybe like a connection between the two. And then the connection in the other way is like all the runs that you have when you test or evaluate something, they're logged in the same way. So you can debug what exactly is going on and you, and you don't just have like a final score. You have like this nice trace and thing where you can jump in. And then we also want to do more things to hook this into uh, LangChain proper, the framework. So I think like some of like the managing the prompts will tie in here already. Like um, we talked about example selectors using data sets as few shot examples is a path that we support in a somewhat janky way right now, but we're going to like make better over time. And so there's this connection between everything. Yeah. And you mentioned the data set in the announcement blog post, you touched on heuristic evaluation versus LLMs evaluating LLMs. I think there's a lot of talk and confusion about this online. How should people prioritize the two, especially when they might start with like not a good set of evals or like any data at all? I think it's really use case specific. And the distinction that I draw between heuristic and LLM, LLMs, you're using an LLM to evaluate the output. Heuristics, you have some common heuristic that you can use. And so some of these can be like really simple. So we were doing some kind of like measuring of an extraction chain where we wanted it to output JSON. Okay, one evaluation can be, can you use JSON.loads to load it? <laughs> and like, right, in that in that, that works perfectly. You don't need an LLM to do that. But then for like a lot of like the, the question answering, like is this factually accurate and you have some ground truth fact that you know it should be answering with, I think, you know, LLMs aren't perfect. And I think there's a lot of discussion around the the pitfalls of using LLMs to uh, uh, evaluate themselves. And and I'm not saying they're perfect by any means, but I, but I do think they're, we've found them to be kind of like better than than blue or any of those metrics. Um, and, and and the way that I also like to to use those is also just like, guide my eye about where to look. So like, you know, I might not trust the score of like 0.82, like exactly correct, but like I can look to see like which data points are like flagged as passing or failing. And sometimes the evaluator's messing up, but it's like good to like, you know, I don't have to look at like a hundred data points. I can focus on like 10 or something like that. And then can you create heuristic ones in Langsmith? Like what, what's like your connection to, to that? Yeah, so, so right now, um, all the evaluation we actually do client side. Um, and part of this is is basically due to the fact that a lot of the evaluation is really application specific. So we thought about having evaluators you could just click off and and run in uh, server side or something like that. But we still think it's really early on in evaluation. We we still think there's it's just really application specific. So we we prioritized instead making it easy for people to write custom evaluators and then run them client side and then upload the results so that they can manually inspect them because I think manual inspection is still a pretty big part of evaluation for better or worse. We have this sort of components of observability. We have cost, latency, accuracy, and then planning. Is, is that listed in, in there? Well, planning more in the terms of like, if you're an agent, how to pick the right tool and whether or not you are picking the right tool. Well, so when you talk to customers, how would you stack rank those needs? Like, are they cost sensitive? Are they latency sensitive? I imagine accuracy is pretty high up there. I think accuracy is definitely the top that we're seeing right now. I think a lot of the applications people are, especially the the ones that we're working with, people are still struggling to get them to work at a at a level where they're reliable enough. So that's definitely the first. Then I think probably cost becomes the next one. I think a few places where we've started to see this be like one of the main things is the AI simulation that came out. 
generative agents. Yeah, exactly. Which mm-hmm. is really fun to run, but it costs a lot of money. Yeah. And so uh, one of our team members, Lance, did an awesome job hooking up like a local model to it. You know, it's not as perfect, but I think it helps with that. Another really big place for this, we believe, is in like extraction of structured data from unstructured data. And the reason that I think it's so important there is that usually you do extraction of some type of like pre-processing or indexing process over your documents. I mean, there's a bunch of different use cases, but one use case is for that. And generally that's over a lot of documents. And so that starts to rack up a bill kind of quickly. And I think extraction is also like a simpler task than like reasoning about which tools to call next in an agent. And so I think it's better suited for that. Yeah. On one of the heuristics, I wanted to get your your thoughts on um, hallucination is one of the, the big problems there. Do you have any recommendations on how people should reduce hallucinations? To reduce hallucinations, we did a webinar on like evaluating RAG this past week. And I think there's this great project called Ragas that evaluates four different things across two different spectrums. So the two different spectrums are like, is the retrieval part right? Or is the generation, or sorry, like, is it messing up in retrieval or is it messing up in generation? And so I think to fix hallucination, it probably depends on where it's messing up. If it's messing up in generation, then you're getting the right information, but it's still hallucinating. Or you're getting like partially right information and it's hallucinating some bits. A lot of that's prompt engineering. And so that's what would, so we'd recommend kind of like focusing on the prompt engineering part. And then if you're getting it wrong in the, if you're just not retrieving the right stuff, then there's a lot of different things that you can probably do or you should look at on the retrieval bit. And honestly, that's where it starts to become a bit like application specific as well. Maybe there's some temporal stuff going on. Maybe you're not parsing things correctly. Yeah. Okay. We'll send people to that webinar for sure to for more detail. And then finally, I wanted to get one more estimate. You're at the heart of all these production LM use cases. What do you think the market share is? OpenAI versus Anthropic <laughs> versus, I don't know, Palm versus local models. I would say OpenAI, like 90 like plus. Really? 90 plus? I think plus. so. Oh I mean, God. if you're going by like number of people okay. using them, definitely over like 90%, I'd mm-hmm. say. But then you maybe have like some like really high. The thing is, there's probably some like really high workloads that are using like local models because they have teams that have been around for a while and can have their own local models. Which you're going to see through Langsmith. Yes, which we're going to see through Langsmith. If we're looking at like the Langsmith data, it's still, we, we haven't broken it down by that, but OpenAI is still very far. In the yeah, that, that's what I wonder about all these model routing situations. Everyone's kind of bit hoping for a multiple model future, but realistically OpenAI is like 95% of workloads. <laughs> yeah, but, but I think like there's, yeah, I mean, there's probably a larger discussion around that, but OpenAI definitely had a huge head start, yeah. right? And and that's, Claude's not even publicly available yet, I don't think. The API? Oh, yeah. well, you can just basically ask any of the business reps and they'll give it to you. You can, but yeah. <laughs> it's, still, it's, it's still a different sign-up process. Yes. I think there's, I'm bullish that other ones will catch up, especially like Anthropic and, and Google. Mm-hmm. The local ones are really interesting. I think we're seeing a big... Llama 2. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we're doing the, hack- the fine-tuning hackathon tomorrow. Thanks yeah. for uh, promoting that. No, thanks for... I'm, I'm really excited about that stuff. I mean, that's something that like we've been... You know, because like, as I said, like the only thing we know is that the space is moving so fast and changing so rapidly. And like local models are have always been one of those things that people have been bullish on. And it seems like it's getting closer and closer to kind of like being viable. So I'm excited to see what yeah. we can do with some fine-tuning. Yeah, I have to confess, I did not know that you cared. It's not like a judgment on on Langchain. I was just like, you know, you you write an adapter for it and you're done, right? Like, how much further does it go for Langchain? In terms of like, if for you, it's it's one of the you know the model I/O yeah. modules, and that's it. But like, you you seem very personally very passionate about it. But I don't know what the Langchain specific angle for this is for fine tuning local models, basically. Hmm. 
like you, you're just passionate about local models and privacy and, and, and all that, right? And open source. Well, I think there's a few different things. Like one, like, you know, if we think about what it takes to build a really reliable, like context-aware reasoning application, there's probably a bunch of different nodes that are doing a bunch of different things. And I think it is like a really complex system. And so if you're relying on OpenAI for every part of that, like I think that starts to get really expensive. Um, also, like probably just like not good to have that much reliability on any one thing. And so I do think that like, I'm hoping that for like, you know, specific parts at the end, you can like fine tune a model and kind of have a more specific thing for a specific task. Also, to be clear, like, I think like, I also at the same time, I think OpenAI is by far the easiest way to get started. And if I was building anything, I would absolutely start with OpenAI. (laughs) It's something I think a lot of people are wrestling with. But like as a person building apps, why take five vendors when I can take one vendor, right? Yeah. As long as I trust Azure, I'm I'm just entrusting all my data to Azure, and that's it. So I'm tr- still trying to figure out the real case for local models in production, and um, I don't know. But fine tuning, yeah. I think, is is a good one. That's why I guess OpenAI worked on fine tuning. <laughs> I think there's also like you know like if there is if there's just more options available, like prices are going to go down. <laughs> so right. I'm happy about that. Yeah, yeah. So like very selfishly, there's that aspect as well. And in the Langsmith announcement, as on the product screenshot uh you have like chain tool and llm as like the three core atoms is that how people should think about observability in this space like first you go to the chain and then you start dig down between like the model itself and like the tool it's using we've added more we've added like a, a retriever logging so that you can see like what queries going in and what are the documents you're getting out those are the three that we started with i definitely think probably the main ones like the basically the llm so the reason i think the debugging and Langsmith and and debugging in general is so needed for these LLM apps is that if you're building like, again, let's think about like what we want people to be building with LangChain, these like context-aware reasoning applications. Context-aware, there's a lot of stuff in the prompt. (laughs) There's like the instructions, there's any previous messages, there's any input this time, there's any documents you retrieve. And so there's a lot of like data engineering that goes into like putting it into that prompt. This sounds silly, but just like making sure the data shows up in the right format is like really important. Um, and then for the reasoning part of it, like that's obviously also all in the prompt. And so being able to like, and there's like, you know, the state of the world right now, like if you have the instructions at the beginning or at the end can actually make like a big difference in terms of whether it forgets it or not. And so being able to kind oh, of God. like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any takes on that one, by the way? This is the U-curve in context, right? Yeah, I think it's real. Basically, I've found long context windows really good for when I want to extract like a single piece of information about something basically. But mm-hmm. if I want to do reasoning over perhaps multiple pieces of information that are somewhere in like the retrieved documents, I found it not to be that great. Yeah. I have said that that piece of research is the best bull case for Langchain and all the vector companies <laughs> because it means you should do chains. It means you should do retrieval instead of long context, right? People are trying to extend long context to like 100K, 1 million tokens, 5 million tokens. Doesn't matter. You're going to forget. You can't trust it. I expect that it will probably get better over time as everything <laughs> in this field. But I do also think there'll always be a need for kind of like vector stores and retrieval in some fashions. How should people get started with Langsmith cookbooks? Want to talk maybe a bit about that? Yeah. Again, like I think the main thing that even I find valuable about Langsmith is just like the debugging aspect of it. And so for that, it's very simple. You can kind of like turn on three environment variables and it just logs everything and you don't look at it 95% of the time, but that 5% you do when something goes wrong, it's it's quite handy to have there. And so that's probably the easiest way to get started. And, and we're still in a closed beta, but we're letting people off the wait list every, every day. And if you really need access, just DM me and we're happy to give you access there. 
And then, yeah, there's a lot that you can do with Langsmith that we've been talking about. And so Will on our team has been leading the charge on our really great like Langsmith cookbooks repo that covers everything from collecting feedback, whether it's thumbs up, thumbs down, or like multi-scale or comments as well, to doing evaluation, doing testing. You can also use Langsmith without LangChain. And so we've got some notebooks on that in there. Both we, we have Python and JavaScript SDKs that aren't dependent on LangChain in any way. And so you can use those. And then we'll also be publishing a notebook on how to do that just with the uh, REST APIs themselves. So yeah, I would definitely check out that repo. That's a great resource that Will's put together. Yeah, awesome. So we'll zoom out a little bit from Langsmith and talk about Lang- Langchain, the company. Uh, you're also a first-time founder. Yes. And uh, you've just hired your 10th employee, Julia, who um, I know from my data engineering days. You mentioned Will Nuno, I think, from who maintains LangChain.js. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested in like your multi-language strategy, by the way. Ankush, your co-founder. Lance, who did AutoEval. What are you staffing up for? And maybe who are you hiring? Yeah, so 10 employees, 12 total. We've got three more joining over the next like three weeks. We've got Julia, who's awesome, leading a lot of the product, go-to-market, customer success stuff. And then we've got Bree, who's also awesome, leading a lot of the marketing and ops aspects. Um, and then other than that, all engineers. We've staffed up a lot on kind of like full stack uh, infra DevOps, kind of like as we've started going into the, the hosted platform. So internally, we're split about 50-50 between the open source and then the platform stuff. And yeah, we're looking to hire particularly on kind of like the things, we're actually looking to hire across most fronts, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) But in particular, we probably need one or two more people on like open source, both Python and and JavaScript and happy to dive into the multi-language kind of like strategy there. But Again, like strong focus there on engineering, actually, as opposed to maybe like we're not a research lab, we're not a research shop. And then on the platform side, like we definitely need some more people on the infra and DevOps side. So I'm using this as an opportunity to tell people that we're hiring and that you should uh, reach out if, if that Is sounds it like you. Com careers? Um, Something like that? Jobs? Whatever. I don't actually know yeah. if they have an official <laughs> job. No. RIP, uh, what happened to your landing page? It used to you be so the, based. The, with... the Berkshire Hathaway one? <laughs> yeah, so what was the story? The quick story behind that? Yeah, the quick story behind that is um, <laughs> we needed a website, and I'm terrible at design. And I knew that we couldn't do a good job. So if you can't do a good job, might as well do the worst job possible. Yeah, <laughs> and, just, and like lean into it. And have some fun with it, yeah. yeah. Do, yeah. do you admire Warren Buffett? Is yeah, it? I admire Warren Buffett and admire his website. And actually, you can still find a link to it from our current website if you look hard enough. So there's a little Easter egg. Before we dive into more of the open source community things, let's dive into the language thing. How do you think about parity between the Python and JavaScript? Obviously, they're very different ecosystems. So when you're working on LangChain, is it we need to have the same abstraction in both language or are you to the needs? The core stuff, we want to have the same abstractions because we basically want to be able to like serialize prompts, chains, agents, all the core stuff as as tightly as possible and then use that between languages like even yeah like even right now when we log things to LangChain, we have a playground experience where you can run things that runs in javascript because it's kind of like in in the browser but a lot of what's logged is like python and so we need that core equivalence for a lot of the core things then there's like the incredibly long tail of like integrations more researchy things those are pretty language um, specific. Python's probably had a head on a lot of like the integrations front. There's more researchy things that we're able to include quickly because a lot of people release some of their their code in Python and stuff like that. And so we can use that. And there's just more of an ecosystem around the Python project. But the core stuff um, will have kind of like the same abstractions and, and, and be translatable. That didn't go exactly where I was thinking. So like, the lang chain of Ruby, the lang chain of C sharp. Ah. You know, th- there's demand for that. I'm sure yes. you're bombarded with those. I'm sure you're not yes. doing that because of focus. Yes. But you are giving up some real estate 
by not doing it. Yeah. Comes down to kind of like, you know, yeah. ROI and, and, and focus. And I think like, uh, we do think there's a, a strong JavaScript community and, and we wanted to lean into that. And I think a lot of the people that we brought on early, like Nuno and Jacob have, have a lot of experience building JavaScript tooling and in, in that community. Will we do another language? Never say never, but like, uh, Python GS for now. Yeah. Awesome. You got 83 articles, which I think might be a, a record for such a, a young company. What are like the, the hottest hits, the most popular ones? I think the most popular ones are generally the ones where we do a deep dive on a deep dive on something. So we did something a few weeks ago around evaluating uh, CSV question answering applications, which I think is a really interesting one because most question answering, like everyone does question answering, but it's generally over unstructured data over mm -hmm. your documents and you do the whole rag thing. And, and that doesn't work amazing for structured data. And so this was something that we heard. The origin of this was basically we heard from the community, you guys should improve this. And so we're like, okay, let's improve it. And then we're like, okay, well, if in order to see if we improved it, we need to like evaluate it and see how we're doing. And so we kind of like wrote up a lot of our thought process there. And I think, I, and a lot of people like reached out about that and thought that was interesting. And, and we're going through similar challenges and had, had, we posted another one a few days after that someone wrote basically as a response, which is awesome because it had a completely different strategy. And it was a really, it was a really, um, it was a, that was a really good piece as well. So that was like a deep dive on some like evaluation bit. I think like we did one on retrieval a while back, which was basically like, hey, we, and this was around when we changed our abstractions, like, hey, we changed our abstractions to this. This is why we did it. This is what we see coming down the pipeline. These are like the different types of retrieval that we see. I think a lot of people read and liked that one. A lot of the blogs that we do are also highlighting cool partnerships or cool applications. But in terms of if you go by like number of views, I think the ones that get the most views are the more deep dive ones. Yeah. And I also noticed that you do uh, guest posts as well. Actually, you know which one? And this is a guest post that got a lot of views. The Multion one, the Multion agent one. When we, did a, we, did a, we did a blog where we integrated with them and that got a ton of views. What do you think that is? I think it's, uh, I mean, it's one of like the few agents that's, actually available and like out in the world mm. they're still behind a wait list still behind a wait list but they're do, very do active Multion on social stuff? media I don't, I don't know if i'm off the wait list <laughs> <laughs> i mean you're, you're on their blogs uh yeah, I mean, they're yeah. on your blog so I, I hope they give you access at some point um but that's interesting a lot of lot of uh, interesting agents and i think they just opened up an api as well yeah exactly that was the that was the blog that we did i was yeah i was a bit surprised to see that as well but i think there's generally a lot of interesting agents yeah and it's also really hard to get them to work and i think Multion's one of the first that has that and, and yeah so, so uh, my angle to this is a lot of people want to work with you yes you're bombarded and i'm sure your email is just unmanageable how should people be good partners with you like I work at a company yeah. and I'm like, hey, I'd love to do something on the Langchain blog or integrate the Langchain. I know Harrison's a busy guy. Like, what do I do? I Like the stuff that gets my attention, honestly, is like the in-depth, really thought out stuff. Obviously, I love this stuff. Like this stuff is awesome. And there's so many different, there's so much to do as well. And like the biggest thing that we have trouble with internally is like figuring out what to do. And what's which, noise and what's signal. Or not, not even that, but just like what to focus on. Like there's so many different directions we could do. And we want to go in like so many because there's so many interesting things, but we can't do. So if anyone kind of like takes the time to like go deep in a particular area, I love talking to them and I love reading what they write. And I love sharing what they write on the blog. Like that to me is awesome. So I think like, do good stuff. Be so good to kind of <laughs> It sounds you. basic, right? So that's why I didn't want to say it. <laughs> no, it's but I, but I think like these deep dot. Yeah, there's just, there's just so much to do, and these don't do shallow stuff. I yeah. guess would be. I think that's a good call out. People need re reminding. What about the other side of open source? So 
on Acker News, there were a couple blog posts recently, like the problem with Langchain and Langchain is pointless, all these different things. So the TLDR of some of them were, you know, the Langchain API is like kind of verbose and complicated versus like sometimes I can just do this in like 10 lines of code. How do you balance that in terms of allowing for the complex use cases versus, you know, making maybe the ergonomics like simpler, but then trading that off later? There's a lot to balance and there's a lot to do. And I think like posts like that are very valuable to hear basically what people are are saying. And like, you know, we have a lot of open issues. So it's not like these things hadn't been said before, but I think like that was a good that was a good emphasis on what people are saying. And I think there was a lot of there's a lot of things in there. You know, I think part of it's kind of like around and we took all of it very seriously and and yeah, I think there's a lot to dive into there. There's like the documentation piece. And so I think we did a revamp of the documentation to address that. There's also like a comment in this. I think this is around, I think the top comment on the Langchain is pointless one was was like basically like orchestration is like 5% of the work. And then like the other 95% is like prompt engineering and like data engineering. And those are the hard bits. I think maybe orchestration is a little bit more than 5%, but I like agree that those are like really big pain points that get exacerbated when you have these complex chains and agents where you can't really see what's going on inside of them. And I think that's partially why we built Langsmith to help out with exactly that. We also needed to do better things like make the prompts more visible and make allow for more customizability around that. And so, so we've tried to add some stuff there. In terms of balancing, there's also Langchain is pointless. I don't need a wrapper. I can just call the underlying API. I think if all you're trying to do is call the underlying API, then like, yeah, that's going to be the the cleanest and simplest thing to do. And, and we try to get as close to that experience as possible, but we're not optimizing for calling the API. We're optimizing for helping people build context-aware reasoning applications as easily as possible. And so there's some level of abstractions that you need to add in order to assist in that. And it, yeah, that's definitely a balance that's tricky to strike, but I think there's also some aspect of it. Like, I, I do think one of the big benefits that Langchain provides is a standard interface for language models so that you can switch between them. And this kind of gets into like an ORM debate, like are ORMs generally kind of like useful or not? And so I think in this case they are, I think there's probably a larger kind of like philosophical kind of like question about that, that people have strong opinions on. So yeah, I just the prompts don't transfer like you, like you also mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. Yeah. And then between kind of like allowing for, I think one helpful thing that we did in terms of like distinguishing between basically the the base interfaces and then more complex stuff is part of the separation around the docs is there's like the components piece, which has the model IO, the retrieval, the, the agents, the callbacks, things like that. And then there's all the use cases. And so I think like, the use cases, because they are like these assembly of all these things in a particular order, they start to get more complex. And it's, you know, we try our, our best to kind of like make clear how you can configure things. But yeah, there's a lot of different options that you might want to configure. And so I think that split has kind of helped us internally, at least. And I think externally as well, because we've heard good comments about the, the improved documentation. I think that's made it a little bit more clear. And then another thing, one of the things that we also released soon after and, and we'd been thinking about a little bit is basically like a Langchain expression language, which allows for actual composability of pieces. So Langchain, I think, has always been very good about interchangeable ability. Let's ignore the prompting issues, but like you could always plug in like one LLM for another one. You could could swap in one vector store for another one. But 
the chains themselves haven't actually been super actually composable. Like we had the sequential chain, but that was a bit like clunky to use. And that was, and then we had a router chain, but that was a bit, uh, you know, that was also a bit clunky to use. And so one of the things, and so there's, you know, there's a million different things to do and we didn't prioritize that. I think after this, it definitely bumped it up and prioritized in priority. And, and luckily Nuno had been doing a lot of awesome work on it already. So it wasn't uh, too much of a lift. Um, but yeah, now there's this way where a lot of the chains that we've been releasing are written in this LangChain expression language where they're actually truly composable and you can see what's going on under the hood. And it's basically, it uses kind of like the pipe kind of like terminology to coordinate things and move things around. Mm. So yeah, I mean, I think there were a lot of good points in those Hacker News things and, you know, we can't respond <laughs> to everything, but we try to like look at everything and take everything seriously. You're being very diplomatic. But so first of all, I like the expression language. I think that that is the path towards um, sort of language agnostic Langchain. Yeah. Kind of, or whatever, uh, <laughs> DSL. But also like what was just kind of plain wrong or plain offensive or like, I don't know, people can get very vitriolic sometimes on Hacker News. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the comments that I appreciated were the ones where they gave specific things. Okay. And I think the ones where they said, you know, Langchain sucks. Like, yeah, yeah. That, okay. Can't, like, can't I do much like, of that. Yeah, exactly. Better phrasing of my question would be like, you're not the first to, and you won't be the last to have that kind of very intense scrutiny. What would be your advice to other people, other maintainers of, of projects for going through something like this? I would probably say try to drill into like what is actually underlying things as much as possible. And if there is actual substance that's being delivered, whether you agree with it or not, like I think that's valuable to know. And then for the other stuff, like try to, to maybe follow up, but maybe try not to let it get under your skin too much. Thanks for uh, tackling that. And I know we're getting to, to time and we'll wrap up soon, but since you're going to speak at the AI engineers conference, what's your advice to AI engineers, especially when to start with LangChain and when they're just experimenting with a model? When are they, as you mentioned, if you just want to do an API call, don't use LangChain. Uh, yeah. What, yeah. I mean, my advice would just like build as many things as possible. Like I think it's, um, I think it's still really early in the space. No one really knows what they're doing to some extent. <laughs> like it's a bit weird to say, but there's so many things to like discover. So I would just say like build as many things as 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 possible. Cause I think like the best thing is you stumble upon a really good idea and you build something really awesome. And the worst thing that happens is you just learn a lot about a, a field and a technology that's gonna be incredibly important and and rapidly kind of like changing. So yeah. what would you build if you weren't doing line chain? I mean, the things that are most interesting to me are kind of like things around like long-term memory and like longer running agents. So I'd probably build, and these are things that we've been wanting to build internally as well, but like, like I think a chatbot that like actually remembers things about you as like silly as that sounds, like people like chatbots a lot and they have, they're delivered limited by their context window. And so I think really diving into like a specific application of, of memory there. I'm mean, trying to build a chatbot that remembers things about you. That would be one. And then like, I, I know a lot of people are doing this, but like a personal assistant for like <laughs> managing like email calendar, basic stuff, which I think is, I think that's like a fantastic application for these like agent like things. Because if you think about personal assistants today, you usually interact. I don't have one, but I'm told you interact with them over email. And the nice thing about that, as opposed to like chat, there's not as stringent an expectation on latency as there is on chat. And so you can do a lot of things like reflection and kind of like making sure that you're on the right track and really put more safeguards and thinking about these agents as opposed to relying on like chat as an interface. Like the bot we have that's on GitHub answering questions on the issues, I think probably gives better answers than the bots that we have uh, that are on chat on the website. And I think that's not because 
there's just different constraints that you have in different types of problems. Yeah. And I think I would be re- like, I think the personal assistant one's really interesting because you remove the constraint of chat, which I think at this point in time is probably pretty limited in terms of functionality. Yeah. I've been calling this sort of uh, long inference. Yeah. Like if you didn't have to care about ENC and you could take like a day, a month, a year to, yeah. to, to work on something, what could you do? And yeah, that's super interesting. I think that's a really promising place to explore. Yeah. Have you looked at, for, uh, regarding the long con- long conversation thing, um, you and I have chatted about this many times. Have you looked into what character and inflection are doing? Because they're probably working on it. I've thought about memory a bunch. Like, I think it comes down to like, it comes down to like state. Like, what's the state you're tracking? And like, what's the data structure for that? And I think it's that could also maybe be a bit like application specific. But if we're talking about a generic chatbot, that's kind of generic. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how they're thinking about that. My sense is that inflection like thinks about that a bit more than character. Like I think in inception uh sorry, inflection's whole thing is they like the bot knows you. It's one chat. There's no history. You just, yeah. just you just talk to it. Yeah. So they've definitely got some state that they're tracking. I'd be really curious to know what that is. Character I don't think has lent into it too much. Um like I think they let you use some stuff in terms of like uploading background and I'm not entirely sure how they use that, whether they just like put that in the prompt or do some retrieval yeah. over that. But I think they're definitely they haven't let it, lent into it as much as inflection, I would yeah. say. Uh so given like you are one of the most uh, interested people in this space, would this be like a second product for you if if you ever want to explore that or do you want to just partner with people and you're putting out the call for people to come come to you if they have solutions for that? If I wasn't working on on LangChain, I would, I would be building an application <laughs> company for sure. First of all, like I don't think I like I think like there's which I know is very hypocritical to say. <laughs> <laughs> like you're Mr. You know DevTools and Infra. And I know, but I observability. Think <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If you're building an application company that's working on something related to long term memory or long term agents, I would love to chat and just geek out all about a lot. Of this I'll show stuff. you small talk at some point. Yes. <laughs> uh, cool. Awesome. Yeah, let's do a lightning round. So the first one is on acceleration. What has happened in AI that you thought would take much longer than it actually ended up taking? The function call and ability from OpenAI, like really? tool usage. Yeah. They did that really fast, I thought. Yeah. But it's just a question of fine-tuning, no? Yeah. It's not even like reliable. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not terrible. Yeah. They're a pretty big organization that's serving a lot of traffic. And like this was a, yeah, it's like, it's, it is like just fine-tuning. But I think like you still have to like, collect that data set and fine-tune it and evaluate it and then release it at scale and and figure out the oh, right API. I mean, yeah, no shade on OpenAI. Like they're, yeah. they're moving everyone's bar as, as to how quickly like a 400-person organization can go. Do you think it eliminates like approaches like JSON Former and all the other approaches that people, like guide, guardrails, you know, previous guest? It um, eliminates your output validation thing. Yeah. I think JSON Former and stuff like that are re- still really interesting for like local models for sure. And there's... Ninety percent of people use OpenAI or something, and like um, my made-up numbers. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's probably real. And yeah. uh, the best way to get structured output is by using the the function calling ability. So yeah, absolutely. What do you think is the most interesting unsolved question in AI? I'm really interested, like how <laughs> multimodal is going to work, mm. like just what that looks like. Have you had a look at the GPT-4 vision? N- no, not really. <laughs> Yeah, it's not, not beyond what they... They're doing private betas right now, so yeah. I'm very excited. I'm excited about that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, you talk about, like, again, this whole space is just changing so fast, but you talk about something that could, like, really change how... Because, like, you know, a lot of LangChain is kind of like a data orchestration tool in some sense, and so if you, if you add a whole new type of data in there... <laughs> so maybe we do this thought exercise, right? Tomorrow, OpenAI releases the GPT-4 Vision API. What yeah. does LangChain do? 
immediately we add support for it in, in like the wrapper. So however you interact, like honestly, this is another like fun thing. Everyone's API now looks like open AIs, yeah. <laughs> like, which, is which you have to do. Yeah. So, so like our, our wrapper looks similar to open AI. So I don't, I don't think it will be that difficult to include support for it at the basic, at the basic model level. Um, and so we do that. And now that we've released the expression language bit, like a lot of the core chains, we have examples of rewriting them just in this expression language. So like for retrieval, if we're now talking about like, okay, you can do like retrieval question answering over, over for multimodal things, we'd probably have to figure out how those are getting stored and what's being done with them. But then from there, that should be, yeah. So probably look into like, yeah, how are, how are people kind of like storing and consuming this type of information? But then that step should be pretty easy to plug into the kind of like uh, chain. Multimodal yeah. stores. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I always wonder what that would actually look like because a lot of multimodality in LLMs is really just an LLM, a text LLM calling a different model. And that's just no different than any API call. Essentially unchanged. <laughs> I think it's probably something that you don't know until you let like a million people play around with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then there'll be new lang chain for yeah. multimodal. What's uh, one message you want everyone to remember today? I would probably say just like build. <laughs> like just build. I think it's a fantastic time to be building. All right, cool. just build. Yeah. Thank you, Harrison, for coming on. Thanks Thank so you much. guys for having me. It's a lot of fun.